In Black and White is brought to you by subscribers of The Herald Sun. Our subscribers get access to the full Herald Sun website, including companion articles to this podcast, digital versions of the newspaper and much more. If that's something that interests you, go to heraldsun.com.au slash subscribe for more information. Dad was obviously hesitant, thinking that he might get hurt playing. So he said, no, no, you're not to play. That's uh, the end of that. Charles Brownlow decided that he would play his footy under the name of Green. Little did he know that it was his own son who was being prominent. I'm Jen Kelly and this is In Black and White, a podcast about some of Victoria's forgotten characters. In this episode, we tell the story of the man behind the medal, Charles Brownlow. It's the AFL's Night of Nights tonight, Brownlow Night, but you don't have to be a footy fan to know the name Charles Brownlow. He's a household name thanks to the Charles Brownlow Trophy, better known as the Brownlow Medal or simply Charlie. It's awarded to the best and fairest player in the home and away season every year in the AFL, and decided by votes cast by the field umpires after each game. But few people know that when Charles Brownlow started playing football in the heart of Geelong, he had to play under an alias. He was not Charles Brownlow at all, but rather Charles Green. Today we'll find out why he used an alias and how his secret was exposed. We first spoke to AFL and Geelong Football Club historian Cole Hutchinson to find out why the Best and Fairest medal was named in Charles Brownlow's honour. Welcome back to the podcast, Cole. Thank you. Now, of all the notable players and administrators who had a prominent role in the early days of football in Victoria, why was Charles Brownlow chosen as the name for the Best and Fairest medal? Initially, people assumed that it was because of his skill as an administrator because uh, he'd been the secretary, we'd now refer to uh, that same role as being the CEO of Geelong Football Club for almost 40 years with also a a deep involvement at at, um, league level. Uh, Now we'd refer to uh, the commission at the AFL. Uh, Well in those days there was an equivalent where each club had a representative in the form of a delegate. So uh, people assumed that oh, because of his magnificent administration He was honoured by having the Brownlow Medal named after him. But his involvement goes much deeper than that, that he was actually a a, a star player for Geelong from uh, the early 1880s right up until 1890 on and off for various reasons. So was it a bit of both because he was a great player as well as an important administrator? Yes, and he was an innovator in many ways as well. He came up with uh, some of the aspects of football that we take for granted these days. Uh, For example, uh, we have, and I know it's not quite the same thing now, uh, but designated positions for players, say the traditional half-back line or your rucks or your on-ballers or your wingmen, He was the first to come up with the idea of using players in specialist positions, as well as that um, forming organisations such as the Tribunal to deal with uh, misdemeanours on the field. Uh, He was just uh, uh, 
he was so um, imaginative in the way that he helped develop the code. And another innovation that he came up with that seems so simple and obvious today was to have numbers on the player jumpers. It's hard to imagine that in the early days no one had thought of that. Oh, exactly. That's right. At one stage, I think during the 1890s, it was suggested that players should have their names on the back of their Guernseys or even the front. But that was uh, knocked on the head because, I guess, with the expense of having that produced on uh, garments and so on. But no, certainly it was a step in the right direction to identify players with numbers. Now, you mentioned his playing career. We've been intrigued to learn that in the early days of his senior football career, he played under the assumed name Green. So what can you tell us about that? What do the records show about him playing under that name? And how did it come to light that he was really Charles Brownlow? So when he was uh, roughly the age of 16 to 17, he decided that he wanted to uh, take part in footy. And his father wasn't particularly interested in the game. And uh, so Charles, naturally enough, sought his dad's permission to go ahead and play. And uh, dad was obviously hesitant because of uh, Charles's tender age thinking that he might get hurt playing. So he said, no, no, you're not to play. That's uh, the end of that. And Charles took it upon himself to use the uh, assumed name, just registered himself, as you say, as Charles Green, uh, with the then North Geelong Football Club. And many people would assume that uh, the North Geelong Football Club would be based in uh, the suburb of North Geelong, where the current football club of the name Uh, has its headquarters. But no, it was actually uh, quite close to the centre of Geelong, ironically, at the headquarters where East Geelong now plays, which was in easy walking distance of where the Brownlow family lived. So that was obviously why Charles uh, had that link with the local club. Uh, So each Friday in uh, the Geelong Advertiser, the selected teams or squads would be published and among the uh, North Geelong players... Green was uh, usually uh, listed. And in Monday's edition, the results of the matches with a few details about uh, play, such as goal kickers and best players, Green featured prominently there as well. So you could imagine his dad just um, skimming through the newspaper and looking at these uh, players. Dad noticed that Green seemed to... um, frequently appear on the best player list for North Geelong and must have been quite a uh, uh, an outstanding performer. So he probably didn't say much to anyone, but little did he know that it was his own son who was being prominent. The story of Charles Brownlow playing under a false name captured the imagination of journalist Chris Adams, a previous guest on this podcast. Chris dug through the newspaper archives while researching the story for a book called Grave Tales, Great Ocean Road Country, Geelong to Port Ferry, co-written with Helen Goltz. Chris was lucky enough to unearth a detailed account of how Charles Brownlow's secret eventually came out. It was an article in Perth's Sunday Times, written by an unnamed friend of Brownlow who'd known him for nearly 50 years. It was published in 1924, soon after Charles Brownlow's death, and it simply headlined the late Charles Brownlow, an appreciation by an old chum. He argues that that Brownlow's father was a businessman in Geelong uh, in the late 1870s, early 1880s, and uh, that in those days, of course, Saturday was just a normal work day. There was no half day off on the arvo to go and waste your time playing footy. 
which is the way his father, I, I suspect, viewed it, and the way old Chum says he viewed it, uh, that he didn't want his um, his son wasting his time away uh, when he could be working in the business um, out on the footy field. So Charles Brownlow decided that he would play his footy under the name of Green, and so uh, that's what he did. Um, he he uh, became uh, quite well known uh, and quite a good player uh, under the name Green. The story goes, according to old Chum, uh, that um, his father had uh, didn't go to the footy much at all. Uh, he preferred to stick to his shop for the uh, Saturday Arvo. According to old Chum, writing for the Sunday Times, Charles Brownlow's deception was eventually discovered when Charles Senior decided he would attend a big match between his son's team and a crack team from Melbourne. Um, he got there a bit late and so he was uh, forced to sit up the back uh, of the stand as the uh, the game uh, went on. Uh, it was going to be a great match. In fact, Old Chum describes it as um, much excitement in Sleepy Hollow. Uh, he was writing from Perth at the time, so I, I don't know how the Geelong folk would think about that. But uh, the game got underway and Old uh, Brownlow was up the back uh, watching uh, the game, saw this bloke green, and uh, he became uh, really interested uh, in the play of this fella green. He was brilliant. Um, And the more he watched him, uh, the more he became impressed, the more he attracted his attention. Um, And he barracked for all he was worth for Green. His excitement, obviously, for those who knew what was going on, amused those around him. They knew about the alias. And when uh, Senior Brownlow went into frantically wild uh, excitement over a bit of extra brilliant play on the part of Green, uh, one of the the old blokes up the back with him slapped him on the back and facetiously asked him, Um, why he was barracking so splendidly and who was it for? Green, of course, answered the excited father. (laughs) His friend said, no fear. Don't you know that you're cheering your own son? Uh, Surely this uh, means you can't forbid him from playing senior football. To his credit, um, he was one of the first to rush into the dressing room and congratulate his son, uh, his erring but popular son, as old chum describes it, on his magnificent play. Apparently after that, all opposition to Saturday afternoon footy was removed and to the day of his death, old Mr Brownlow uh, was a keen supporter. According to Cole Hutchinson, Charles Brownlow's father no longer opposed him playing footy once he realised he could more than hold his own. I think he probably realised that um, Charlie was coping more than well against the adult players and uh, there wasn't much risk of him getting injured because he was so quick and knew how to look after himself. So we assume that Dad um, gave his blessing and uh, allowed him to keep playing, (laughs) this time under his real name. And why do you think Charles Brownlow chose the name Green? I think it was probably his sense of humour. I would imagine uh, having uh, the colour in his name, Brownlow. Oh, let's choose another name, pink, blue... Green, oh yes, plenty of people are called green, so uh, that sounds good enough. (laughs) Now what do we know about his early life and his childhood? He was um, born in 1861 in Geelong, and uh, the earliest reference to him from a um, public service point of view, he was an assistant librarian at the Arrow Street Methodist Sunday School, or the Wesleyan Church. Uh, So he would have been probably only um, uh, 13 or 14 at that stage. And his parents were um, parishioners at that church. And in fact, there is a, uh, a plaque 
still existing at that church, which honours his parents. And some of the parishioners who are football-minded see this plaque on the wall and assume that it's Charles Brownlow, the football identity that's being honoured, but it's actually his parents. Uh, So um, when he left school, he uh, began uh, with an apprenticeship as a watchmaker and jeweller under the guidance of a Mr Fisher, who was highly skilled in those areas. And soon Charles established his own shop in Mallop Street, uh, in the centre of uh, the city of Geelong. Soon afterwards, he also completed a silversmith apprenticeship. And briefly, he also ran a hairdressing and tobacconist business, which was uh, a little bit uh, away from those other areas, but that was only for a short time. And was he quite successful in his business? Oh, absolutely. And highly respected too. I think people sought him out because they knew he was reliable in repairing their watches or uh, recommending a wedding ring or whatever. And uh, I'm sure he didn't overcharge them either. He was a very generous person. He was involved in just so many community groups uh, where um, he uh, uh, helped organise activities for young people, looked after um, the elderly and the poor. So uh, he was uh, one of the most respected people ever to live in Geelong, I believe. Now, in those early days of football, so he would have been working five or even five and a half days a week, I assume, and footy would have just been on a Saturday afternoon with training, what, once or twice a week? Yes, that's certainly the case. To show you what uh, respect he uh, commanded when he first joined Geelong, so his first season of um, 1882, he um, quickly became a, uh, a respected and regularly selected player. And by the start of the next season, he was appointed captain and led them to a premiership. So he became a consistent, outstanding performer and played regularly for just a few years, really. And then uh, by the time he'd established his business and couldn't come to training, he stated to the club, uh, look, it's not fair on my teammates to be selected every week if I'm not at training. So he said, I'm prepared to play if we're short of players or if uh, someone has to pull out at the last minute, I'm happy to uh, keep myself fit uh, when I can and take my place in the team. So he was selected sort of semi-regularly for the next seven or eight years and uh, performed well every time he took the field. Okay, and the way he put his work first and his business first, I guess that shows that he was quite a strict and disciplined person, much like his father was. Absolutely. Uh, So if any of his teammates swore on the field, he soon put them in their place and uh, uh, just made sure that uh, the high standards were maintained. What do we know about his family life? He had uh, four daughters and a son. And it's interesting, um, he called his son Charles. There is also Charles IV, who lives in Queensland the grandson of our identity, and he's very, very proud of um, his family heritage. And he was in attendance at Geelong just recently when a special ceremony was conducted to um, celebrate the fact that Geelong is now the owner of the original Brownlow Medal, uh, which was uh, presented to Kaji Greaves in 1924. So how did it come about that the medal was named after Charles Brownlow? After almost 40 years of involvement as an administrator plus several years before that as a player. By the time that Charles passed away uh, through illness, aged only 62 at the beginning of 1924, that the league and the football community and the community of Geelong all wanted to honour this great man in uh, 
a um, tangible way. So the league's suggestion was readily accepted that a medal should be awarded annually to the player regarded as the most outstanding in league football as judged by the umpires with emphasis on fair play as well as outstanding ability. Uh, So there is a provision in that award where players who have committed a serious misdemeanour on field are disqualified from winning. So uh, the first medal was presented appropriately to a Geelong player, champion centre man, Edward Greaves, universally known by his nickname, Kaji. And Brownlow's name is actually on every medal, isn't it? Yes. Uh, So the first medallion is unique, made of solid gold. Since then, all Brownlow medals have been simply gold-plated. So uh, that first one is special in many ways. That's been great. Thanks, Cole. Thanks for joining us. Good. And if listeners want to read more about Charles Brownlow, you'll find a link to a story and photos in the show notes. Thanks for listening. This has been In Black and White, a podcast about some of Victoria's forgotten characters. Written and hosted by me, Jen Kelly, produced by Peter Fuller, and edited by Andrea Thies Evanson. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please rate and review it on whatever platform you're listening on. And make sure you press the subscribe button in your podcast program to get every new episode automatically sent to you as soon as it comes out. A troubled young woman. Her evil parents. We never had any issues between us. Has justice been done? I'm in a prison. Join journalist Richard Gilliatt as he delves into one of Australia's most gripping cases. Shadow of Doubt, a new podcast investigation from The Australian. I cannot find one of these allegations that's possible. Listen now, wherever you get your podcasts.